Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you guys today. How many of you are excited and glad you decided to come to church today? Come on. Awesome. If you're new here, welcome. My name is Pete. Uh, I serve as the lead pastor, and on behalf of all of our staff and Dream Team members, we just want to say uh, we genuinely hope you enjoy your experience with us here today and that you'll want to come back to be a part of the family that God is growing almost every single week here at Life Church Buffalo. God is doing something special here. We're seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ every single week. And I'm excited to let you know that we have an opportunity next Sunday to celebrate with those who are taking their next step in faith through baptism. Next week is Baptism Sunday. And uh, if you have never taken the step to get baptized yourself, water baptized, since making the decision to follow Jesus as an adult, please do us a favor and make that right by grabbing the yellow Next Steps card in the seat back pocket in front of you. On the back side, check the box that indicates the, that you want to get baptized. And then after service is over, you can head out into the foyer and talk to one of our Next Steps team members and they will uh, get you signed up and uh, we'll contact you later this week to let you know what you should expect. Uh, next week and what you should come prepared with. Uh, but that's always one of our favorite Sundays of the entire year when we get to celebrate with people who are publicly declaring and, and telling the world and the unseen realm that they are now on Team Jesus, that they belong to Jesus. And uh, I'm excited to be able to celebrate that with all of you. Today, though, we are continuing a series we began last week called Unseen Realm. And uh, last week I shared a foundational message for all of you that talked about the conflicting worldviews that we see happening both in culture and in the church. And as a people of faith, we have to make the decision if we're going to adopt the naturalistic worldview that our culture has embraced wholeheartedly that says the physical seen world is really all that there is and it's all the product of natural processes and anything supernatural or spiritual is completely dismissed or discounted? Or are we gonna be people who embrace the supernatural worldview that the ancient biblical writers espoused, which teaches that there is both a seen and an unseen realm happening simultaneously and concurrently, overlapping each other. That there is a unseen realm that's just as real, if not more real, than the things that we can taste, touch, feel, smell, and hear. And uh, if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go back and watch it or listen to it. These freaking flies. Every week. Why? Anyway, that was last week. Today, uh, we're going to answer some questions. So I mentioned last week that there was a uh, survey recently done that 63% of Americans said that they believe in the paranormal of some form. Well, in preparation for the series, uh, we decided to do our own survey. And I want to thank those of you who participated in that. Before we began the series, we sent an email out to all of our database asking you to answer some questions that relate to the paranormal and supernatural activity. And I think about 240 so of you um, answered those questions. And thank you for taking the time to do that. We posted it on social media as well. And uh, I want to apologize in advance, though, for not having the time today to answer or address all of the questions that we asked in that survey. As I dove into preparing my message for this week, it quickly became very clear to me that I wouldn't have enough time in my 40 minute block here to uh, answer or address every single one of those questions. And so if I don't get to the question that you were most interested in hearing more about, I'm sorry for that. 
I talked with Kelly yesterday, and we're, we're trying to think about whether or not there, there might be a way for me to record uh, another message or some kind of a teaching that addresses some of the questions that I won't have the time to get to today in the message, uh, or I'll share some links to some resources that will speak specifically to those other questions. Uh, but today, the question I want to begin with, fitting for the season with Halloween right around the corner, is the question of, do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in ghosts? According to the survey, of the 241 of you who answered, 32% of you say you do believe in ghosts, 47% of you do not, and 21% of you are not sure whether or not ghosts exist. Is there such a thing as ghosts? Well, I guess the answer to that question depends on how you define ghosts. If by ghosts you mean spirit beings, then the answer is a qualified yes. But if by ghosts you mean the disembodied spirits of people who have died, then the answer is no. The answer is no. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that there are spirit beings, both good and evil, but the Bible negates the idea that the spirits of deceased human beings can remain on the earth as ghosts and haunt people. Are there ghosts in the Bible? Well, in the New Testament, we see that there were people who kind of had an idea of ghosts because the word appears several times, even in the New Testament. Matthew 14 and Mark 6 both tell the same story of when Jesus walked on the water. And in Matthew's account, it says in verse 26 that when the disciples who were in the boat saw Jesus walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And the word translated as ghost there is the Greek word phantasma, which means illusion, phantom, specter, or most commonly ghost. And it appears again in Luke, uh, after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he appears to the disciples who are gathered together in a room. And in Luke 24, 37, uh, Luke records that they were startled and frightened at Jesus' appearing to them, thinking that they saw a ghost. Here, the Greek word is different than the one that was used in Matthew. Here, the Greek word is pneuma, which means wind, breath, or immaterial substance, much like a ghost. And Jesus, you know, went on to say, hey, I'm not a ghost. I'm real. Look at my hands. Look at my side. He even, you know, ate some broiled fish with them to prove that he had fully resurrected. But ghosts are not what people have imagined them to be even during Bible times, While some might assume that the apparition of a spirit is perhaps the ghost of a late relative come back to communicate with them, the Bible sets us straight on this. This does not happen. When people die, they die. They cannot communicate with you from beyond the grave. Hebrews 9.27 says that each person is destined once to die and then after that, the judgment. And that's what happens to a person's soul spirit after they die, is judgment. And the result of that judgment is one of two things. Heaven for the believer, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and Philippians 1 and other places, or hell for the unbeliever, Matthew 25, 46 and Luke 16, 22 to 24. There is no in-between. There is no possibility of remaining on the earth in spirit form as a ghost, If there are such things as ghosts, according to the Bible, they absolutely cannot be the disembodied spirits of deceased human beings. However, the Bible does teach that there are spirit beings 
who can connect with and appear in our physical world, in the seen realm. And the Bible identifies these beings as both angels and demons. Angels are spirit beings who are faithful in service to God. They are holy and righteous and good. Demons, on the other hand, are fallen angels who have rebelled against God. They are evil, deceptive, and destructive. Look at what Paul writes about Satan and his demons in 2 Corinthians 11, 14 to 15. For Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no great surprise then that his servants can also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So from here we learn that appearing as a ghost and impersonating a deceased human being certainly seems to be within the realm of power and ability that demons possess. So while the thought of evil spirit ghosts or demons roaming around can be unsettling to some people, what Christians need to understand is that we don't need to fear them. We should be aware of them and alert, be sober and alert, 1 Peter 5.8 says. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that we need to put on the full armor of God so that we can engage in a spiritual battle with them, but we don't need to fear them. We can trust that God will protect us from evil spirits. 1 John 4.4 4 says the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit of him who's in the world. And as we're told in 2 Thessalonians 3.3 that the Lord is faithful, he will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. So listen, if you hear a bump in the night, rest assured it's probably just a bump in the night and not the you know, apparition or ghost of some deceased loved ones who's coming back to haunt you. Because the Bible makes it clear that cannot and does not happen. That's not something we need to worry about as Christians. So the next question that I want to address, which is kind of the flip side to this one, is do you believe in guardian angels? According to the survey of those of you who answered, 74% of you said yes, 7% said no, 20% are not sure. Now I know I just mentioned in the previous answer that there are in fact angels. The Bible is full of references to angels of all kinds in different places. Not only that, but I preached a whole sermon about angels in a sermon last year right around this time in a series we did called Supernatural. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that or watch that if you weren't here when we did it. But to kind of recap that sermon, we said that angels are created spiritual beings made by God and for God. They are worshipers, they are messengers, and they are warriors. That is who they are, but what do they do? According to scripture, the, things, the times when we see angels appear in scripture, angels give you direction, angels minister to you, and angels protect you from danger. Now this kind of speaks to the whole guardian angel kind of thing. But the question is, do each one of us have our own personal guardian angel? I don't know that I or anyone can definitively say without any shadow of doubt that there are guardian angels for every single person, but there are a couple of verses that imply that maybe some people do. Speaking of children, Jesus said this in Matthew 18.10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Notice he said, their angels. Some would assume that here perhaps Jesus is suggesting, if not outright stating, that at least children have guardian angels. So while no one can say with complete certainty that everyone has a guardian angel, we do know that angels are involved in our lives. I love some of the promises we find in Psalm 91. 
Psalm 91 begins this way in verses one and two. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust in him. Now that is the condition upon which a whole bunch of really amazing promises that follow are built on. Psalm 91 is conditional. One of the promises that we see appear later on in the chapter is angelic protection. If you live in fellowship with God, if you trust him, if you have made him your refuge, then, in verse 11, he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So this means the context of Psalm 91 is conditional. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you follow him in all of his ways, if you trust in him, then and only then will he dispatch his angels to protect you and guard you in all of your ways. But you have to do your part. In contrast, if you are rebelling, if you're breaking God's commandments, if you're being foolish and stupid and testing the Lord, then this verse and this promise is not for you. The promise of angelic protection is not given to everyone carte blanche. It's given to those who are followers of Jesus who have made God their refuge and hiding place. If you're not a Christian, not only do you not have angelic protection, but you need to understand that there are fallen angels, demons, who are actively involved in your life trying to lead you astray and keep you blinded to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But one thing that I want to make very clear today from Scripture, because it's a very common and popular belief in our culture, and even within, within the church, people who claim to be followers of Jesus, who will say, yeah, my Aunt Pat, who died so many years ago, I, I get these signs every now and then that she's watching over me. Or my, my Grandma Jean, you know, I get these, these signs that she's my guardian angel. There is nothing in Scripture to support the idea that your deceased Grandma Jean or Aunt Pat or Grandpa Joe is watching over you as a guardian angel. Nothing in Scripture. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. They're not hanging around here as an angel or as a ghost. And if you're a Christian, Paul says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I just want to make sure that that is completely understood, that nothing in Scripture supports the idea that your deceased loved ones are watching over you as guardian angels. There are angels that can watch over you, but you're not your dead relatives. All right, now that we have that clear, the next thing that I want to address is the question that you answered of, do you believe in magic? According to the survey of the 241 of you who answered, 18% said, yes, you believe in magic. 67% of you do not believe in magic, and 15% of you are not sure. Is magic evil? I guess the answer to that question depends on how you define magic. Because most of the magic that we're familiar with today, that we see from magicians on talent shows like America's Got Talent, is really nothing more than sleight of hand. It's just cool card tricks or things that they have learned how to do that trick the eye and the brain into believing that something that seems impossible is possible and just happened in front of them. It's just sleight of hand. They're just cool card tricks, different things like that, that to me is really innocent and harmless. 
It's not evil in its nature. In fact, a couple years ago, when my oldest son was, maybe it was about five or six years ago, he saw one of these acts on AGT, and for Christmas, he wanted a magic set. And so Kelly and I got him, you know, a box of magic tricks, and he had so much fun walking around the house and playing these, you know, neat tricks on people and pulling stuff out of a hat. And that, to me, is kind of innocent and harmless. But if by magic you mean what the real definition of magic is, which is this, this is from the dictionary, the power of apparently influencing the course of events by using mysterious or supernatural forces. That's what it's defined as, then yes, that type of magic is evil. According to Wikipedia, magic is an ancient practice rooted in rituals, spiritual divinations, and or cultural lineage with an intention to invoke, manipulate, or otherwise manifest supernatural forces, beings, or entities in this natural world, which God gives very clear and strong warnings against in his word. And so I think the enemy has been working really hard over the last several decades to manipulate people of influence, especially in the entertainment industry, who don't know God, to desensitize us and the general population, beginning at even the youngest of ages, our children. We have been bombarded with subtle messages from media concerning magic and the supernatural. And the message that we are being told is that it's harmless. It's no big deal. It's even good, cute, fun. That's the message we get. I think about you know, the movie that many of us grew up with, the, the Wizard of Oz, right? Magic is good unless it's used for bad purposes, right? Because there are good witches and bad witches, supposedly. There's white magic and black magic. Think about Wizard of Oz. I know some of the younger generation may not have ever seen that movie, but there was Glinda, the good witch, and there was the wicked witch of the West. Or maybe you're not familiar with Wizard of Oz, maybe you're more familiar with the magic that appeared in the Harry Potter series, or pretty much every single Disney movie that's ever been put out that has a fairy godmother or some type of enchantress or witch or spell or incantation that reinforce over and over and over again to our children that magic is no big deal, it's just a part of life and it's good. I mean, you can use it for bad, but mostly it's good. So that's the message from culture, but I want to know, what does God have to say about magic? That's what we should care about as people of faith. What does God say about magic? He has a lot to say about magic. In the Old Testament, God makes several very strong statements about magic. Mentions that we should not participate in it or seek it out. Look at Deuteronomy 18, 10 to 12. God speaking to Moses says, don't let anyone use magic or witchcraft or try to explain the meaning of signs. Don't let anyone try to control others with magic. Don't let them be mediums or try to talk with the spirits of dead people. Listen to this verse. The Lord hates anyone who does these things. I just want to let that sit there for a minute because in the church today, especially in the West, we like to preach this message that God loves everyone. We're all okay. It doesn't really matter what you do. No, here, God hates anyone who does these things. That's strong. Leviticus 19.31, God says, Do not turn to mediums or consult spiritists, or you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. 
See, magic and mediums and psychics are all directly related to the occult, which uses power and knowledge that come from demons in the unseen realm. And all Christians need to stay away from participating in magic or witchcraft and all forms of the occult. During the time of Moses and Joseph, we see that the Egyptians were practicing magic. As God was performing miracles through Moses and Aaron as signs to Pharaoh to convince him to let the people of Israel go from slavery, Pharaoh called all of his magicians and sorcerers together and tried to basically copy all of the miracles that were performed through Moses and Aaron. And the devil will always counterfeit what God creates. Make no mistake, I mean, the devil and his demons do have power that can be made manifest in the natural realm. So it is real, but we just have to heed God's warnings about where that power comes from. You can read about that in Exodus 7 and 8, but this shows us that thousands and thousands of years ago, even in the days of Moses, magic was already being practiced. Pharaoh and his sorcerers were not followers of Yahweh. They were directly opposed to God. They worshiped demonic false gods. And it's not just the Old Testament. There are warnings against it in the New Testament as well. In Acts 13, during one of Paul's missionary journeys, he comes across a man named Elimus, who is identified as a sorcerer. And Elimus was trying to convince the proconsul or the judge that Paul was talking to. Paul was trying to witness to him and convince him to be a follower of Jesus. And Elimus was trying to convince the judge to not become a follower of Jesus. And Paul opposes him and says in verse 10, says to Elimus, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Then the Lord, through Paul, strikes Elimus with temporary blindness. And when the proconsul sees what happens to Elimus, he makes the decision, that must be the one true God. I'm going to become a follower of Jesus. And he places his faith in Jesus. But what can we learn about magic from Paul's response to Elimus? We can learn that the one who practices magic is defined as an enemy of God. And anyone who practices it is full of deceit, trickery, and perversions. See, magic is not what Hollywood has made it out to be. Even though television and books and movies and music all promote it as this innocent, harmless thing, and there's, there's fairy dust and there's fairy godmothers that promise happiness, its true definition is related to the occult, to demonic activity. It's directly connected to Satan and his demons, and Christians should not be messing around with it. We need to heed Paul's words and reject the deceptive philosophy of the world and not become involved with elemental spiritual forces, as he says in Colossians 2.8. And so, with that being said about magic kind of related to it, the last question that I want to spend the rest of our time addressing today is the question we asked in the survey of what do you believe about tarot cards and Ouija boards. According to the survey, thankfully, 95% of you believe them to be evil and should be avoided. But there were 2.2% of you who believed them to be misunderstood and that they can provide clarity and meaning, and 2.5% of you answered that they are harmless and fun. 
Now, before any of you Christians or believers try to shame anyone or condemn anyone who answered that way, can I please remind you that there are a whole lot of people in our church that did not grow up in the church and have maybe only recently made a decision to place their faith in Jesus and follow him. And it's not our job to condemn them. They may not have known any better. That may have been just what they were exposed to. And so it's our job as mature believers to lovingly teach and disciple those who are brand new in the faith into the ways of the kingdom. So let's be careful not to throw stones and condemn people who think that they're harmless and fun. So with that being said, let me address tarot cards first. Are they evil? Should Christians use them? Tarot cards were first actually invented in the 1400s in Italy as a form of entertainment. It was just a card game. It was an innocent card game. But in the 1700s, occultists changed the tarot, creating a new deck that featured spiritual symbols that they assigned ancient meanings to without any historical substantiation. And they promoted tarot cards now as more than just a form of entertainment. They promoted it as a form of divination where people could seek spiritual guidance through supernatural rituals. The first tarot deck that we know for certain was designed specifically for occult purposes, was created in 1789. These occult decks consisted of 78 cards divided into two different groups that they called arcana. There are 22 cards related to major life events called the major arcana, and 56 cards related to daily life that they called minor arcana. And reading the cards involves dealing some of the cards into a spread on a table face down, and then turning each one over and trying to interpret the symbols that appear, connecting meaning to them based on when they appear and the positions on the table they appear in relation to one another. The tarot card interpretations are based merely on intuitive feelings of the so-called psychic reading the cards, and so the reading meanings are subjective. Today, people use these cards as a way to seek more information about themselves and their futures, trying to uncover secret and hidden knowledge. People who use tarot cards or who visit supposedly psychic tarot card readers see them as tools for exploring mysteries and learning fascinating information. So that's tarot cards. What about Ouija boards? The modern Ouija board was created in the late 1800s as interest in spiritualism was growing. A Ouija board, which is also called a spirit board or a talking board, is simply a game that has the alphabet, each letter of the alphabet, numbers, and the words yes or no on the board printed on its face. And it comes with what's called a planchet or a pointer, which is a wooden kind of triangular object that was originally designed with a hole in it for a pencil. And today I think it's just a clear lens in the middle. And what people do, players that want to play with a Ouija board, gather around the board and lightly kind of touch the planchet Um, and they begin to ask questions about their life. And without consciously moving the planchet, they allow an unseen force to be channeled through them and begin to move the planchet or pointer around the board to spell words that answer the questions that they have asked. And whether players realize it or not, What they're doing by gathering around this board is performing a seance. And a seance 
is when people kind of circle around to try to channel a spirit to be able to connect with people who've passed on or speak to a spirit in the spirit realm. That's what a medium does. So let me ask you a question. Do either of those two things sound like harmless, innocent games? What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, you're not going to find the words, tarot cards, or Ouija boards in the Bible because they were both invented after the Bible was written. But Scripture is very clear that we are to avoid all forms of divination. And Ouija boards and tarot cards are both examples of divination, which is an attempt to contact the spirit realm for information either about past loved ones or about your life or about your future. That's pretty much the definition of divination. Trying to contact beings in the spirit realm to find out information about past loved ones, about your own life, or about your future. And God in Leviticus 19.26 says, do not practice divination or seek omens. Jeremiah and 2 Kings tell stories of how people, the people of God, got themselves in a lot of trouble and put themselves in danger because they practiced divination. They decided to reject and disobey God's law. They participated in divination, and judgment came. In the New Testament, we see Luke writing uh, in Acts about Paul and Silas encountering a fortune teller. Acts 16, 16, Luke writes, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we met We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And so she starts following them around, pestering them for days. And finally, verse 18, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So we can see that the means by which some people attempt to predict the future or give you information about your life or past loved ones is actually demonic. You're talking to a demon and trying to get that information. That's what Ouija boards and tarot cards are. It's divination. It's witchcraft. And Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. And after he lists a few more, he says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other translations, he says, says, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's clear from the Bible that divination practices like trying to seek secret knowledge from the unseen realm, which is what tarot cards and Ouija boards are doing, is clearly forbidden by God and definitely not acceptable practices for Christians. No matter how innocent they may seem, they are more dangerous than we realize. Playing with them opens doors to the demonic realm, inviting spirits to walk through those doors into our lives, into our homes, into our hearts, into our minds. Listen, Satan is a liar. And we've already read that he masquerades as an angel of light and he has deceived into a lot of people into thinking that they're just communicating with their long lost loved one when in reality they're talking to a demon, a familiar spirit. And so what should you do 
If you are somebody who wasn't aware of what God's word says and you've participated in these things, or maybe you have these things in your home, two things I would encourage you to do. Number one, confess it as sin and renounce it. There is power in the blood of Jesus. We sang about it earlier. James writes, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. We need to confess it as sin and renounce it. And the second thing you need to do is destroy those items in your home. Like literally burn it, whether it be books, whether it be jewelry, whether it be um, occultic games like tarot cards or Ouija boards, anything related to that that is physically in your home needs to be burned. And the physical or the scriptural precedent for this is in Acts chapter 19. We see Paul and Silas are in Ephesus for an extended time. They, they, they camp out at Ephesus for a couple years because so many people are coming to faith. And in verse 18 of chapter 19, we read that many people began to confess the things that they were involved with privately, even magic arts, it says. And it says they went home and collected all of their magic books, all of their incantation scrolls, and they brought it out and burned it in a public bonfire. We cannot keep these things in our homes. They are lightning rods for demonic activity. You are literally asking spirits, evil spirits, to come into your home and wreak havoc with your family. So confess it and burn it. Get it out of your house. Even though it can seem fun and feel exciting to think that you might be able to learn information about your past on relatives or learn more information about your own life or your future, we need to understand, you guys, that our lives and our future are not in the cards. They're in God's hands. Only God knows the secrets that we seek. His Holy Spirit will guide you in the major life decisions that you have. The best way to learn more about the hopeful future that God has for you is not by seeking a psychic or having someone read some tarot cards or playing a Ouija board. The best way to find out more about the future that God has for you is to ask him through prayer. Why do we need those things when we have a loving father who wants to talk to us through prayer? And so what I wanna encourage us all today and be careful with this because while the occult is truly sinister and evil, We need to be careful not to see people that are interested in those things as evil. They're average people like you and me who are just looking for answers to some of life's questions and they don't know where to find it. They've come up empty by looking inward and so being interested in the supernatural and the paranormal, they try to find answers outside of themselves. It's three weeks in a row now. I don't even know what to do anymore. It almost flew in my mouth. So listen, if you know someone who is using tarot cards or Ouija boards, the best approach is to first address the reality to them that a deck of cards or a wooden board cannot provide them the answers that they seek about their life or their future. Only God has those answers. Listen, that, that kind of stuff has much validity to it as putting a bunch of pre-written answers into a hat 
and then drawing one out, expecting that to be what gives you guidance for your life. Like you wouldn't do that. Say, say you were contemplating whether or not you should have a major surgery if you ever needed one. You wouldn't like write a bunch of answers down and throw it into a hat and pick one out and say, should I have this surgery? No. You're not gonna make your decision on that. Why would you do that with other major life issues, whether it be with your finances or relationships or anything else? It's madness. It's foolish. Secondly, if you know someone that's participating in these things, hey, in love, let them know about the spiritual dangers that they are exposing themselves to by using those things. Because all forms of divination, no matter how harmless they may seem, can potentially open someone up to much deeper problems, including, but not limited to, demonic oppression, demonic obsession, where people all of a sudden start to become obsessed with darkness and demons, or even demonic possession. Listen, if we can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, what makes us think that we can't be filled with the demonic spirit? I shared with you last week that we are both a physical body that interacts with the natural world through what we can observe and taste and touch, but we are also an unseen soul spirit body that interacts with the unseen realm. And we can be filled with the spirit of God or we can be filled with evil spirits. So warn them about those problems, those dangers. Because divination can invite demons into your life and by proxy, even the life of your family members. There are multiple accounts of houses becoming, we'll say infested with demons because divination has taken place in the house. People used tarot cards, people played with a Ouija board, people did seances or, or did other things that opened up a door for spirits to walk in and all of a sudden all these weird, strange things start happening around the house. It's not fake, it's not made up, it's not imaginary. There's demons in the home trying to terrorize and bring fear and control and manipulate you. There's no such things as spiritually neutral forms of divination. They are all spiritually dangerous. To put it lightly, using tarot cards and Ouija boards is spiritually reckless and you should avoid it at all costs. In closing, what I wanna leave us with today is an understanding that we don't need to be afraid of these things. Jesus entered this world to give us a better alternative to magic. Jesus shows us who has the real power and what real power is. See, he came into this world to bring forgiveness to people of their sin that a lot of people thought it was sin or the wrongdoing of parents that brought sickness and illness and diseases. He taught that there was a coming kingdom of God where the curse of the world that brought death was gonna be overcome. He died to bring in and usher in that kingdom and to make it possible for sick sinners to enter it. And he conquered the evil powers that were keeping people in bondage, the very powers that magic tried to protect people against but couldn't. And it was the conquering of the evil power behind magic that was perhaps the most significant for those who relied on magic because the power behind magic, which is the devil, was now defeated. And Paul says this about Jesus in Colossians 2.15, that God stripped 
the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority. With the cross, he won the victory and showed the world that they were powerless. Jesus humiliated the powers of hell and the unseen realm when he died and rose again three days later. And that's the message that we need to hear today. Yes, we need to be informed of and aware of the dangers and the true nature of these things, but we don't need to fear them. We don't need to fear magic or demons because when we're in Christ, listen, we have something better. We are seated with Christ, it says, in heavenly places, which is a place of spiritual authority, which means the devil is under our feet. And as I read earlier, greater is the spirit who lives in you than the spirit that lives in the world. I wanna close with this verse. This is what Jesus says to you, believer. Christian, listen to this. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. If you are a Christian, you have authority over Satan, over demons. It's time you start using it. But what I want to encourage you or, well, say warn you of, is you can't play games with the devil. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church thinking that you're going to be able to have any kind of authority over the enemy. You can't be dabbling in occultic games, seeing psychic readers and playing with Ouija boards and tarot cards and thinking that you have any authority over the enemy because you've abdicated all of it. You've given the devil authority in your life. The number one rule of spiritual warfare is you cannot take any ground from the enemy if he has any ground in you. So it's time, church, that we make up our minds about who we are and whose we are. And if we're gonna adopt a supernatural worldview and believe that this Bible that we read is a revelation of a supernatural God who loves us and proved his love for us by sending his son to die for us so that we could be reconciled to a relationship with him, then we need to take seriously the warnings he gives us in his word about the nature of some of the things that our culture has called harmless and innocent and fun. Use the authority. Let's pray. Jesus. King Jesus. Lord, I'm so thankful that your word tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will one day confess that you are Lord. Lord, every evil spirit, every demon in hell will one day be forced to bow their knee before King Jesus when you return to this earth and bring a new heaven and a new earth and you establish your kingdom for eternity. And you cast Satan and all of his demons into the lake of fire once and for all. Before that happens, they will bow their knee to King Jesus and say, you are Lord. You have all authority. But God, we're not gonna wait for judgment day. We have already bowed our knee to you, not just as our savior, but as our Lord. Trusting in you as savior changed our eternity, but 
following you as Lord changes how we live. And so starting today, Lord, we confess to you the sin of apathy and taking lightly the things that you have warned us to not participate in. We're told to not even mention the things that people do in the dark places. So God, in this moment, would your Holy Spirit just move across this room and convict us, Lord, of the things that we have made compromises on, the things that we have watched in the name of entertainment and have potentially unknowingly opened ourselves up to demonic activity. Lord, we confess it to you as sin. We ask you to forgive us, and we thank you that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God, I pray that as sons and daughters, we would step into our rightful role as sons and daughters and begin to use the authority that you've given us to push back the gates of darkness. I thank you that you are building your church and the gates of hell cannot and will not prevail against it. Lord, I pray that we would stop being on the defensive and retreating from the ferocious attack of the enemy, always attacking us. But instead, Lord, we would realize who we are and whose we are, put on the full armor of God and start marching under a banner of victory and pushing back the forces of darkness that have been operating in our family and in our schools and our communities and our workplaces. The kingdom of hell will not prevail against the advancement of God's army, of his family, of his kingdom that we are a part of. Maybe you're speaking to some right now, Lord, and helping them to take mental note right now of some of the things that as soon as they get home, they need to grab some items and throw it in the trash or take it in the backyard and put some lighter fluid on it and put a match to it and burn it. Maybe you have brought some clarity and shown some people why some things are happening in their home. It's because they've got this object in their home that has been a lightning rod. It's been an attraction to invite evil spirits into their home. God, I pray that you give us the courage and the faith to follow you in simple obedience, to confess it as sin and get rid of it. I thank you that no weapon formed against us can prosper. And with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask one more question and provide the opportunity that if you're here today because somebody invited you, maybe you heard about the topic that we were going to be speaking about today and you were interested to hear our take on it, and maybe you've never made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus, but maybe you're convinced that there is there is something about the supernatural because you've witnessed it, you've experienced it, but you don't know how to overcome it. Well, James, the brother of Jesus, writes in his epistle that we are to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But before you can resist the devil, before he'll flee from you, you have to first submit to God. And that's what many of you, maybe some of you here today, have never made the decision to do. But today that can change. 
So if you're here today with all heads bowed, eyes closed, and you're ready to make that decision to submit your life to God, to confess your sin and trust in the sacrifice that Jesus made for you to forgive you of all of your sin, would you boldly raise your hand all across this room here today? Say, that's me. I'm done playing games with God. I'm done trying to live life on my terms. I see that hand on the left. God bless you. I'm proud of you, both of those hands. Proud of you both. Is there anybody else here today? that says, I'm gonna turn from my old life and from this day forward, I'm gonna deny myself, pick up my cross, deny my inclinations, deny my own selfish, sinful desires and follow the way of Jesus. Anybody else here today, just raise your hand. If you're online, you just click the link in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on. Church, would you join those who are submitting their lives to God right now so that they can Resist the devil and see him flee. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. I confess that I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me of all my sin? Would you cleanse me of all unrighteousness? Jesus, I repent. I turn from my old life and I change my mind about who I thought you were. And I choose from this day to follow you, to surrender to you. Be my Savior and my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength to follow you and the power to overcome all evil forces. I thank you, Lord, that right now my name is written in your book of life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, can we put our hands together and welcome those born into God's family?